I told Ron before the service that if this is my 14th time, you've been very nice to keep on getting me back. Maybe I'll get it right one time. <laughs> don't know. Just don't know. The text today comes from the Tao Te Ching, uh, something I've been translating. And so this is my translation of number 44. And as a professor, I call it the answer to the test. And it's in three sections, question, discussion, and answer. So questions. Reputation or life? Which has the longer future? Body or wealth? Which would you give up first? Gain or loss? Which distresses more? Discussion. Extravagance is the purpose of love. Generosity is the reason for wealth. The more you hoard privilege, the more you'll miss it. Is this serenity? Is this worthwhile? Answer. You have it all, even now. A contented life is not a deprived one. So keep cool to the extent that you can interrupt your crap. You'll never live disgraced. You'll be forever safe and at home. Thus ends the reading. Last year, in a neighborhood near me in West Asheville, someone complained on nextdoor.com website that some of the bees in a neighbor's beehive were unfairly crossing property lines, <laughs> coming into his flower garden, feasting on his flowers, and enriching his neighbor. He felt it unfair and wanted to press a small court's claim case on him and his bees. What advice could we provide him? This complaint stimulated my inner trickster. So I posted this story by Marilyn Kinsella, and I'm going to hell for this. Once there was a man who had no job, no home, no family, very little money. He survived on the goodwill of his neighbors who gave him bits of food. And on his daily walks around the neighborhood, he often stopped next to the bakery. Such delicious smells wafted from the open window and into his welcoming nose. On Mondays, he smelled homemade apple pie. On Tuesdays, sweet donuts. On Wednesdays, yummy meat pies. Are we getting hungry yet? On Thursdays, cinnamon cookies. On Fridays, rich chocolate cake. And on Saturdays, he smelled the delicious aroma of baking breads. Ah, he said to himself, taking a whiff, I may have no money, but at least I can enjoy the, de the, the delicious banquet of aromas. And he would close his eyes and dream that he is part of a big feast. One day, while he was taking in the scent of baked bread, the baker came out and saw the man, eyes closed, enjoying the aromas of his labors. What are you doing out here? I thought I smelled a rat. You are stealing my smells. <laughs> what? cried the poor man. Stealing your smells makes no sense. Get it? <laughs> we shall see about that, said the baker. Please come arrest this man. So the poor man was hauled off to jail where he awaited his trial. The day came to meet the judge, and the court in the court was also the baker. The judge looked down over her wire-rimmed glasses and at the two men. What have we here, she said. The baker started shouting, this man, this bum has been stealing from me. I see, said the judge. And just what has he been taking from you? 
Every day this man comes and stands outside my bakery. He never buys anything, and yet he enjoys my baked goods. That's terrible, said the judge. You mean he steals your food? Not exactly, Your Honor. In fact, he never even sets foot in my bakery. Then I don't understand how he was stealing from you. Well, he smells the aromas of my cooking without paying for them. Oh, now I see, says the judge. He enjoys the scent without paying a single cent. (laughs) That is correct, Your Honor. The judge looked at the homeless man and said in a stern voice, Is this true? You've been accused of the theft of smell. What do you have to say for yourself? Your Honor, the poor man began, It's true. I do stand in front of the bakery. The smells that come from the bakery make me forget my miserable life. And just for a few seconds, I can dream that I am feasting on fine food. I do not know what I was doing was wrong. I see, said the judge, but your ignorance is no excuse. The baker nodded and smiled at the judge's wise words. The judge looked at the baker and said, to recompense you for this theft, I want this thief to go home and get every bit of money that he has and bring it to court early tomorrow morning. The homeless man was distraught. It was the last of his money. But he did just as the judge asked and returned the next morning with a bag full of assorted coins. The judge took the bag and said to the baker, come close. The baker smugly approached the bench. The, bud, the, man, the, the judge takes the bag and shakes it vigorously. Do you hear that? Yes, said the baker. Then that sound is your payment for his theft of smell. And since you wasted the court's time with such a ridiculous lawsuit, I hereby sentence you, O baker, to make a baker's dozen of everything on your menu and donate it to the local food bank. That way poor people can not only smell but also taste your wares. Next case. We live in a thought bubble that I call scarcity. The scarcity trap is that tightening of our jaws when we feel there's not enough. There's only so much. And you've got to be wary, and you've got to watch out for number one. You've got to meter things out because resources are few. Life is a zero-sum game of only winners and losers. There's only so many Hamilton tickets. Only so many slots at Harvard. You get envious. Envious of the co-worker with the raise. Envious of the person ahead of you in traffic. You need to be first and you will trample on people to be first. So you keep score about everything. And you ration. You ration love. You ration your assets. You ration your time. The scarcity mindset is a competing mindset. Its focus is on on what the other person has, not on what privilege I'm already living in. With scarcity in charge, we feel like there's not enough to go around, so you live life on safety. No risk, no adventure. All advertising depends on scarcity. You're not enough, not good enough as you are, so buy our product. Only four days left. You feel your blood pressure rise? The private beach, the gated community, section something off and privatize it, make it scarce, reassure the people with abundance that it only goes to a few people because scarcity rules. 
When time is considered a scarce commodity, we always feel that there's not enough time. And so we get time-saving devices like computers. And by the way, how's that working out for you? <laughs> Non-white people at our border. Our border? Build a wall. America first, meaning everyone else second. If we let all those people in who are not like us, we'll have no jobs. It'll be a drain on our economy. We imply in a million ways to our students that there will not be enough jobs. Work. Worry yourselves sick until you climb to the top and get what you deserve. Of course, no one tells them when they get there or when enough is enough. Older citizens, there's not enough health care to go around. Start worrying. It's exhausting. Really? Scarcity thinking hijacks your brain, that your bandwidth is so small because all you're thinking about is one huge big conspiracy that someone is out there plotting and able to take our joy, my joy that I deserve, and rob me of it. Who are these inner referees and how the heck did they get there? Scarcity probably began way, way back in time when something was missing, food, shelter, or safety, alarm bells went off at our ancestors' heads. And today, these alarm bells still ring, amplified by our capitalist economic loudspeakers, which promotes a worldview of scarcity. You see, to gain margins of profit, one must create perceived pockets of artificial scarcity. Put constraints on products. Treat something as unique, as hard to get, Hamilton tickets, only for a few people, scarce, and you drive up its price and you make your profit. But it's not just economics. At my university, we've had a line of leaders who govern by scarcity. Their constant radio signal repeated, we are a tuition-driven institution. This was translated that the economic pie was small and getting smaller. And on campus, we were to compete with each other for any resources. And we did. Department pitted against department. How jealous our department got, got when another department got permission to hire a new professor. But ours did not. You know what I'm talking about. The administration regarded us as problems on a chessboard, but never as solutions. Scarcity is basically hunger weaponized. And we feel no qualms about treating people and as uh, treating other, or targeting other people with our own insecurities. Scarcity is a mindset. There's never enough. Don't take risks because you've got to be careful with your resources. Get your fair share, whatever fair and share means. Think small because the pie is shrinking. Micromanage. Life is a competition with winners and losers. Don't be a loser. Hoard. Fear. Suspect. You can't trust anyone. So complain. The worst that can happen will happen. Your favorite byline is, we can't afford it. In this point of view, we're victims. In our postures, we're hunched over, clenched, tense in jaw, short breath. In our emotions, we are anxious and frustrated, 
angry, overwhelmed, powerless. We're walking black holes and infectious at that. And we drain any room we're in of light and energy. Mentally, we think confused thoughts, focus narrowly, and remember only that which is not working. We say too easily, we have no choice. We can't afford it. Now, organized religion has provided for us the ultimate scarcity. It's called hell, (laughs) which is scarcity to the extreme in love, family, touch, joy, to start a list. Heaven, as depicted by the hell preachers, only reinforces hell's scarcity because heaven gets depicted as a place where only a few people get to go. What the hell is that all about? (laughs) Heaven is for the few. Hell is for everyone else. Now, abundance on the other side is strangely rare in our thinking these days. It's a habit of mind and heart that I would urge us to cultivate more because there is always more. The picture is always bigger. The best is yet to come. Risk is another name for reward. The pie is getting larger, and my life contributes to its largesse. Abundance gives other people credit. It collaborates. It gives. It models confidence. It trusts. It shares freely, even though we may not have much. It builds rapport. Everyone does better because everyone does better. Your success is my success, and we invest in each other. So in this point of view, you're in the driver's seat. In our postures, we're relaxed, alert, rooted, balanced, present. Emotionally, we feel powerful, engaged. We're working on something larger than ourselves. Your energy is infectious to others. Mentally, we are clear, adaptable, flexible. I always have a choice because I'm mission-driven is my go-to line. I think the reason why I love this Unitarian family so much is that you're indeed in the abundance mode. Your community support, your love for the stranger, the placeless, the LGBTQ, this holy earth. Well, it's well known. You love without counting the cost. You're in the middle of this pledge drive one that will build on past visions and ministries and possibilities to provision a future vocation for your place here in Hendersonville. Heck, even this wonderful space is a living architectural statement about how you think and love and feel. How many people remember the old place? (laughs) God, Lord. (laughs) If you're in the scarcity mode, I doubt many of you would be here. I certainly wouldn't. So congratulations, but come on, folks, keep it up. This current culture of scarcity wielded and threatened upon us by a government gone amok is a real challenge. And that's why in a very, in the most strangest, most strangest, most strange ways, I give thanks for number 45. He and his sort show us precisely The poverty of scarcity thinking, in which nothing is good or strong or high enough. Build the wall higher, 
Protect the rich from the poor huddled masses. Be suspicious who doesn't, of anyone who doesn't look like, well, me. Declare war on your imaginary enemies. Tweet storm, tweet storm your hate and ridicule. Define yourself and your agenda and even your age through whom you hate. These times, my dear family, is the perfect anti-example of what this congregation seeks to be and to become. Do not ever forget why you're here. Why are we here? We're not made for the shallow end of the pool. Life is best lived in the abundance zone. We're made for large truths, large loves, grace without end. Let me be more clear, more rigorous. If there's something wrong with us as human beings, it's not that we're originally sinful like my Christian faith will phrase it. Original sin is scarcity theology that serves only to keep people off balance. It's a wrong diagnosis. Our fundamental problem, though, might be laziness. We can still be seduced by falsehoods of scarcity. We can still be imprisoned by half-truths of, it's all about me. We can still be addicted to weapons of mass seduction, that if we don't get our share, then somehow we're not working hard enough. We can still settle for fake news that life is competition. We can cultivate addictions to the false and to the fake and deny the huge, larger truths for which I think we're made. Scarcity culture says it's impossible for everyone to thrive, for everyone to have quality health care, for everyone to live in, in secure peace, for everyone to live without addictions. However, I think, and I've, pre I've preached here the last 14 times about this one thing, we're made for the impossible. The impossible is what we are made for. Equal justice for all. Equal opportunity for all. Equal rights for all. If there's a mission of this congregation, it is to stay maladjusted to our culture of fear and scarcity thinking. We are made for abundance. Ain't got time to be scared of scarcity. Interesting, though, where's my English professors? Scared and scarcity share the first five letters. If Taoism and Buddhism, progressive Christianity, Jewish Kabbalah, and you, you are correct, the nature of this universe is abundance. Abundant life, abundance in love, abundance of peace, abundance of energy, abundance of wisdom. God does not build pinch points to meter out God's abundance. To start a theory of scarcity in our universe is to start buttoning up your shirt wrong. It will never get right until you go back and redo it. We have to go back to the beginning, back to basics, and work out of our original abundance. So if you want to control your life, don't fence it in. The way to manage yourself, your child, your employees, is to provide this deep, abundance of trust. The way to influence someone is to give up controlling. The way to help our young people is to let them loose in the world, not restrict them or curfew their movements. Why? Because in the end, scarcity is a false consciousness. It's imprisoned thinking. It causes controlled people, controlled by control freaks. The best way to work with people 
Encourage them to be creative. Encourage them to be mischievous. Give up your control. Let them have to the keys to car the keys to the car. Hell, give them the car itself. <laughs> you see, all the love, all the goodness, all the mercy, all the grace, they are all ready available. Our mission is just to join the party. Let smallness die. Do die to small thinking, tight fists, high blood pressures. Die to the competing and win-lose schemes. Die yet again to letting the small things and small thinks keep us off balance. We are not cul-de-sacs. We are not dead seas where the flow of life ends. We are flow-throughs. We are a pass-through people. One of the things, says Andy Dillard, one of the things I know about life is this. Spin it all. Shoot it. Play it. Lose it all right away. Every time. Do not hoard what seems to be good for later. Give it. Give it all. Give it now. The impulse will be to save it for something good for later. But that's the signal. You've got to do it now. Anything, anything you do not freely give and abundantly becomes lost to you. You open your safe and you find ashes. Abundance has its day every day. Stay close together. Pool your abundance to be living water to Hendersonville. Drink deeply yourselves because there's no end to your goodness and to your mercy. The last I heard, there are still no laws against love or goodness, or mercy. Because abundance is our first practice. It is our first principle. It's the only sweet gas worth breathing. So breathe with me.